Hey, James here with a little quick note about this podcast. Ezra just moved house and unfortunately the removalist broke the microphone. So the sound quality on this recording is not as good as our normal one, but we thought it was best to go ahead and record it anyway. So please enjoy this episode of Think, Act, Get. We'd sit down with the beads and the string and I'd say, okay, Ezra, watch me do this. I'm going to take the string, I'm going to get these beads and I'm going to put them on one by one. And then when I finished, I'm going to tie the, the string and now I have necklace so that was me doing it. then it's we do it okay let's do this together you grab the string all right now i'm going to pass you the beads and you put them on one by one and then uh, do you remember what to do next okay that's right tie the knot now we've got the necklace now the third step is you do it all right ezra take it away you teach me how to do this thing show me how it works and you say well first you get the string then you get the beads and then you put them all on and then you tie the thing and there's your necklace i say great do that There's another hundred over there. We'll be at the markets in the morning. Welcome to Think, Act, Get with James Shramko and Ezra Firestone. What you think determines how you act, which results in what you get. So join in now as we discuss how you can think differently, act faster, and get high performance results in your business. Hi there, listener. Welcome back to another episode of Think, Act, Get. Ezra Firestone here with my partner, as always, James Shramko. James, how are you, man? Doing real good. Thanks, Ezra. So, dude, uh, today's a pretty special day in in the world of of Shramko, isn't it? It is. Today is my birthday. Wow. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Did you have birthday parties as a kid? Was that a thing you were into? Yeah, we had pretty normal sort of upbringing, birthday parties. And uh, it was uh, it was hectic, <laughs> fun. So, how old are you today? Today, I'm actually 44, but I don't feel 44. Wow, four four. That's um, that's pretty sweet. That's a big year. How do you feel? Same as always. Actually, it's it's weird. I guess I haven't been too big on celebrations before, but. I think I felt more uh, contemplative when I turned 40 than 44. I could see I got a fair run up to 50. Mm. But sure, physically and mentally, I really feel like I'm regressing. I feel like I'm going back into my 30s and I hang around young people like you. Does the process of aging freak you out? Is that something you're really scared about getting older? Is it just like you're just kind of able to, to handle? I mean, as a man, it's not as hard as, as being a woman and aging, but as far as the way society treats you, I mean. No, I'm not freaked out about it. The only time I contemplate age is if I see someone very, very old and frail or incapacitated or if I get sick, uh, I will um, just contemplate that. You know, I've, I was feeling a little bit of pain around my neck. You know, for the years I've talked about stand-up desks, I've... I've talked about dictating things instead of typing because I felt like my wrists was sort of having a tough time typing for a while there. And I felt like I was spending too long at the computer. Mm-hmm. And I pushed it pretty hard, a lot like you do sometimes. Uh, in my 20s, I was running Mercedes dealerships. And in my early 30s, I had very, very pressurized roles. And I just felt physically um, right to the limit. And you know, I started to then, towards probably the the end of my 30s i started putting on a little bit of weight feeling more sedentary and you know moved inland to a farm and just wasn't doing enough activity and i just felt like i was losing my physical peak but now 
Uh, it's all reversed. It's all reversed because of uh, the things that I talk about on my podcast all the time. Sleep, eating well, and exercise. Surfing every day is just amazing. It will strip off. I mean, it's really true. People are all focused on diet and freaking out about what they're eating, but if you just move your body. Oh, it's such a load of shit. You know, all the nutrients and the pills and the diet, it's all crap. If you just eat properly and you move, then you don't need all that other stuff. I'm just so <laughs> I'm so adamant about that. You know, I've had five different people tell me they can solve my neck pain, this, that, and the other, and then I went and got an uh, MRI, and sure enough, it's just osteophytes. It's just little bones growing and pinching my nerves. It's osteoarthritis. So no little magic pill or, you know, rollerball is going to fix that. That's just a fact. And 50% of people over 50 have this. I just have it a little bit earlier. But if you reduce your the weight that you carry, if you eat properly and you exercise, I mean, I went from 109 kilos to 88 kilos in two years just by exercising every day. There's a... There's no getting a word in on this podcast, huh? I'm just really passionate about that one because yeah. I see so much junk. Uh, you know, it's just all yeah. lies. And the doctors will tell you, if the smart ones will say, you know what, there's no double-bind surveys that prove most of the things that, that these companies sell do anything. This is good because you're not like you don't, you're not, I mean, you're passionate about a lot of things, but this is, you're pretty fired up about this one. And I hear you because a lot of people, I mean, because there's so much misinformation in that space and so much magic pills sold, take a pill and you'll be fine, all this stuff. It really is sad. But on the topic of aging and dying and what you were talking about, how you would work too hard in your 20s, is this week's episode, which is delegation, uh, which is described as a distribution of tasks and responsibilities to others. So delegation, what is it? How are you using it? And how is it affecting your business and life? That's what we're looking at in this episode of Think I Get. That was a nice way to bring us back on topic, Ezra. <laughs> Thanks, man. I had to circle back in, you know, because we got... But, you know, in, in short, I reached a point through my career where I realized that I just can't carry the load anymore. I just can't keep putting in the big hours and having all the responsibility and doing everything myself. So we're really going to touch on a lot of the ideas and concepts that I've implemented over the, particularly the last 20 years. Um, progressively, you know, especially in the last 10 and as, and even more so in the last five, I'm just refining and refining and refining. And I'd, uh, I'd love to hear your point of view as well because you're a little bit earlier on in that phase than I am. Absolutely. And, you know, if you remember from one aspect, but you're also, you know, extremely successful with your e-commerce stores. You've leveraged up and, and uh, delegated plenty of stuff as well to get where you're at. So we've taken two different approaches we see what we get with our mashup. I love it. And to be fair, a lot of my sort of, sort of the, when I made the jump to really being an expert at delegating and growing my team and being able to get out from under all of the task work in my business was around the time that I started working with you. So a lot of my early systems and uh, processes and sort of thinking around systems came directly from you. And I now have innovated and done my own thing, and I'm, I'll, I've always been very good at getting help. But I do think that you should be acknowledged for that, and I think that you're especially incredible at this particular thing. And for you, listener, you know you're not the best at everything. 
So it's not in your best interest to do everything. And it can be hard to let go of doing everything when you're a business owner, because usually when you start out, you kind of have to do everything. But at a certain point, you have to let go of the reins and turn over certain tasks to other people. And the good news about this is you can hire out the things that you don't like to do and the things that you're not that great at. So they get done by people who are better than you at them and you can do what you enjoy doing. I mean, there's also a right way and a wrong way to go about this because a lot of people think they could just hand off everything and it'll magically get done. So we'll probably cover some of the steps involved, if you like, in how to do this the right way. When you start handing things over or getting them off your plate, you want to go through a step-by-step process. Absolutely. Should we go through it? Yeah, well, yeah, man. Let's do it. All right. Why don't we kick off one step to start with? Step one is actually identify all the tasks that are required and then split them into three categories, just making the, the, the first sort of run at this. I would say uh, split them into categories, delete, do, or delegate. Okay, so something shouldn't be done by anybody. They should be deleted. And when you think about the 80-20, 20% of the stuff you're doing is getting 80% of the results. So there's plenty you can delete. And and I've found that this is one of the most satisfying things of all is to just not do something or stop doing something because it just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. The other things are to do, there's things that you should do that only you can do that will get you the highest return on your investment of energy and then everything else is delegate. So that was step one. And, you know, I think that um, that that's a really good point. And I actually forgot what I was just going to say. <laughs> I had something that I thought was brilliant and I lost it. Well, I lost it. I'm just going to go on to my next little point. And when you come back, maybe I'll remember, which is that an important part of delegation is truly letting go of the task once you let go of it. So if you delegate something and you're constantly looking over the shoulder of the person that you've delegated to, then you haven't really delegated that. You just kind of created more stress for yourself. So make sure that you trust the person that you're delegating to and that, that you've trained them well enough and remind yourself to just kind of let go. And it doesn't mean that you have to hand over a, a task and never check in with someone because it's, in, it's, it's important to have a structure for the turning over of a task, whether it's standard operating procedures, whether it's I do it, we do it, you do it, which is something you taught me, James, that I think you should mention in a moment. But the process of delegation has to be something that you're prepared for. Be prepared for the time that it takes someone to get it right and be prepared to let them run with it and be prepared for them to innovate and be open to hearing what they think when they're getting in there and doing it. And one thing that I've discovered that I think is cool is that help gets better over time. So like if you are, you know, hiring part-time work, let's say 20 hours a week that or 20 hours and yeah, 20 hours a week. So that first month you buy 80 hours of help. And in that first month, you know, I mean, you're maybe not that great at delegating and you're getting better at it and, by the third or fourth month, that, that what, what 80 hours was worth to you in month one, it's now worth 160 hours because you're better at delegating and they're better at doing the tasks. And the other thing, which I think you just said, is that it's important not to delegate everything because there's some things in your business that you should be doing and only you know how to do and can figure those out. And you want to be doing enough to where you know what's going on and you want to know kind of what everyone's doing so that you know whether or not it's being done well. Yeah. Well, yeah, so there are a couple of things you shouldn't delegate. Number one, the money. Don't delegate the money. You should keep control of the money in the business, like if possible. 
have very few signatories to th- to the ability to withdraw the, all the money from the account. In any large business, you're going to get fraud. There'll be someone who's a gambler or has a big financial crisis and they'll see it as an easy way to solve their problem by manipulating your checkbooks. So hold on to the money and if you do have to have other people paying for things, section off or get them their own account that's easy easy to track, audit it, investigate it, check it, have your accountant all over it because it will happen if you don't check it. Uh, the other thing is you should uh, also nurture your marketing and by that specifically the list. You should always retain the database. The customer uh, database is really one of the, the key assets to the business. So that CSV file should be stored somewhere safe. I remember back in the Mercedes dealership, that was the one thing they had in the safe was a printout, a hard copy printout of everyone who'd bought a Mercedes-Benz from that dealership. That was considered the most important asset. With all these expensive cars around, I thought that was really interesting. I remembered, by the way, what the thing was that I'd forgotten earlier, which is... Oh, good. Let's see this yeah, genius. It comes back to me, which is that my that I 100% agree with the, the, the step one figuring out what even needs to be done. And my lingo for this is taking inventory. So when I start a new project, the first thing I do is I take inventory of all of the things that have to happen. And then I make a list of them, which is exactly what you said. So we kind of have that same starting point. Nice. Yeah. And, and you know, someone might listen to this thinking, oh, this is great theory. Uh, it's, you've read a few books. Uh, but we're actually doing this stuff. It doesn't just work for us. It works for people who we help. I've helped numerous business owners. Like you said, I think this is my sweet spot. And it's the area that I can offer the most value to someone going through that growth phase between a solopreneur to running a a team. We both have salaries for our team that are in the tens of thousands per month, uh, more on certain months. uh, Your team is significantly larger than mine. I'm managing a team of uh, 15 people at any given time. so, yeah, I mean, this is stuff that we're passionate about and that we do really, really well. Well, I mean, my the payroll that I send out is probably double my old salary. So it was, you know, it's a significant amount. Um, you can feel good about that too. Like we're actually contributing to society by helping people um, create value and be rewarded for that and take the strain off social security or, or the economy. And uh, they put that money back into the economy. They buy things like food and clothing and accommodation. Totally. I agree. It feels really good. It's really satisfying to know that you're helping people support their lives and their families and their communities. But you know how we talk, we've talked on a, on a, a previous episode about how like there's people out there in our community who are like um, pushing this idea that you need to grind super hard, you need to work until your eyes bleed and you need to hustle and you've got to be like, right? Like how that's like something to be prized. And how sacrificing your health and your family and your relationships is like some, is some kind of valor. Yep. Well, as we mentioned before, I couldn't disagree with that viewpoint more. And what I've really learned these last six months of not having a house, not having an office, just having my laptop, new, you know, traveling every week, just severe instability because of my lifestyle choices to uproot myself from New York City and begin the process of purchasing a home is that. It's not about how much you work. I really got to experience this. I believe this in theory at a time, but I've been able to experience this. It's about what you produce. And 
in that time, I've worked half the time that I've worked any other time in my business and I've produced twice the amount. Now, granted, I had a leveraged assets that I worked to build and I'm not advocating for no work, but I do think that, you know, to, to pride yourself on how much you work and to have the goal of working like to have that as as some something that nineteen hours a day. I think the quote was. <laughs> I think it's the wrong metric. Exactly. That's all. Yeah, I think the amount of hours you work is the wrong metric to track. I much prefer things like effective hourly rate, which is a simple calculation, and it's something I do with all of my coaching students, and I do for myself. It's a good way to work out what stuff you should be doing and what stuff someone else should be doing. You take your monthly profit and divide it by the number of hours you work that month and you get a number and the effective hourly rate is a guideline as to how effective you are at uh, value contribution in the amount of time you spend how much you're getting as a yield for that so simple number uh, $10,000 a month profit uh, 200 hours of labor it's $50 an hour if you did $100,000 a month profit and you worked 100 hours, which is much more typical of a millionaire uh, in, who's got a, a lifestyle or well-designed business, that's $1,000 an hour. So if you can't get $1,000 an hour for something, like, um, say, mowing the lawn, you might consider hiring someone to do that for less, and then you keep the difference. You get to save the time, and you pay out a little bit of money. You know, I think that you bring up a good point here, which is that delegation isn't just for business. Let's say you're a terrible handyman. That's a life skill. My mum is a delegator. Exactly. <laughs> you know, she could walk into a house and have everyone else doing everything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, delegation is a life skill if, if you want to. And I'm not saying you have to have an easy or lazy existence. I'm just saying you can leverage more. And you said it. You can create more value uh, with less input if you focus on, on doing this right. And, and sometimes... And we, we had a recent case. One of my students was pretty much unable to work for six months. Her father passed away and she had to go move countries with her family and sell a house and uh, just had to just disappear from the work. But the business ran itself for six months. And then I had another student who um, had a similar situation with a family health issue and she had to pull away from the business for a while and luckily it was all set up right we had other people doing the tasks that were critical for the business and she actually you know both these ladies sent me a, a very sincere thank you because they acknowledged that that these skills that we talk about are that powerful i think i found one of those on facebook and sent it to you which i just thought was such a, a beauty. we should put that well i guess we can't but Anyways. No, I don't think so. But but I think the point is it works for other people and it's implementable. Yeah. It's teachable. So let's talk about step two, hey? Yes. And I want you to continue with the steps. I want to say one more thing, which is that an under sort of less talked about side of delegation is that it allows for growth in the areas that you actually want to grow. It frees up, frees yeah. up from doing the things that you don't have, you know, that you don't want to be doing and, and lets you do the things you actually have the best aptitude for. It's true. And by the way, I was so fired up about that uh, workaholism discussion that I created an infographic on it. I just wanted to get that message out there. I was, I was just, uh, I was really riled by the, the concept that someone should be judged by how much they work. It's, a, it's the wrong thing to measure. Uh, yeah, it's just misguided. Step two, hire or in-house. So 
a lot of people assume you've got to hire people full time, you know, go through that whole hiring, training, managing, leading, blah, blah, blah. Some people just start cut out for that. You don't have to do that. You can just, you can hire someone as a contractor to just come in, do something, and get out. Like if you're moving house, like you wouldn't employ a removalist full time, would you? No. And you look at the, like the analogy you're always given about the cars, you know, Mercedes, they hire someone for the wheels or whatever. Yeah, they decide which bits they want to do and they decide that they can't do some things or shouldn't do some things and they let someone else do it. So packaging uh, the combination of in or out. Now, if, you, uh, if you're hiring in, then step three is you've got to decide if you want qualified people or you want to do the training yourself. I've always gone down the path of hiring people who I can train and letting them have a longer lead up But what you end up with is, firstly, you acquire them at a lower rate, which means that you can build in uh, wage increases to match their skill ability increase. Two, they're very, very loyal because you've hand-reared them. And three, they're super talented. They've got a lot of context and no real bad habits. So higher on attitude rather than skills. This goes back to what you talk about, the convenience deception. So, for example... Take what I did with my cousin, who's now my lead developer, develops all my Shopify stores, all my WordPress sites. He graduated college. He was sitting around doing who knows what. I said, look, dude, I'll pay you $7.50 an hour to learn JavaScript, HTML, WordPress, Liquid. I had him in training for like a year and a half. And now I've hired him and he's better than developers. I was paying 60 bucks an hour to. And he's not near. I mean, he doesn't need exactly what you said about the scaling of the pay. His pay can scale over time. And I end up getting a much better product. So if you're willing to do the work up front of training someone, then you end up with a much better product, even though it's longer and a little bit more tedious. Uh, hopefully not talking about our WordPress development. Well, no, no, your WordPress development is great. I still use it. In fact, you guys just developed the site for me. I had uh, a team that I was using in Russia. I had a team uh, that I was using in India. I had all these teams that um, were not serving me. Right. So you basically... Um, if you do go for a specialized service, then you're going to be looking for a team that's sort of been led the way that we're talking about. Um, I am the same as you, Ezra. I've got an in-house webmaster who just looks after super fast business, who's separate from my website development team. And that person was hired as a virtual assistant five years ago, never heard of WordPress, nothing. <laughs> and she codes and makes, minifies and does all this stuff. I don't even know what it is, but she's learned it all from scratch. She's very talented. Uh, or muggling, as they would say. And this is just from the long haul. So if you are prepared to take a longer view of transitioning from you doing everything to someone else, look to that training option if you can, if you've got the ability to be patient, buy them resources, get them training, nurture them. You can hire someone who's qualified straight off the bat. They can probably slide in there this week and get up and running fairly quickly. However, they're more of a flight risk because you know, if, if they don't want to work for you this week, they could buzz off somewhere else. Two is uh, you're definitely going to pay more for someone who, who's got crazy skills and they know what they want straight off the bat. And three, they don't really have the context or the understanding of your business straight off the bat. So you're going to have to have a transition period anyway. And so they, it, they also don't scale because as you get busier and need more help, they're off working with a hundred other people and you need something. To- yeah, and the last thing they want to do is really help someone go through the training process because you know, they're special and they have all these skills. There are some exceptions. It's, it's really hard to hire a great graphic designer who's never touched a paintbrush. Like generally 
my designers are people who have always been doing art and have been designing things, but just maybe not online web stuff. And the other one is programming. You, you can take quite a while to learn programming. So you, you might pick up someone who's quite a good programmer um, and get up and running much faster than t- to try and teach that. But other jobs, uh, some jobs, you can actually teach people if you want to build them up for the long haul. So look at that sort of apprenticeship slash progression approach if you can. And I did it in the car dealership. I would never hire a car salesperson. I used to hire people who were working in hotels. They had hospitality training. They had customer service skills. They could wear a tie properly. And then I taught them how to serve people and look after their motoring needs. And they were by far better salespeople. Same with airline pilots and from any other industry except from someone who'd been selling cars at the shop right next to ours. That was the last person I would hire. Brilliant. And you know, I've gotten... um I think that when you're dealing with people on your team, approval is significantly underrated. And there's a lot of like, you know, science out there and books on this now about how many times you should approve of someone. And then whatever they do, you approve of them again. So you approve, you request a change, and then you approve. And you can just repeat that cycle over and over. And that will be a really effective way to have people feel really good about doing the things that you want them to do. Hmm. There's some interesting uh, little subtleties to this one of my bosses taught me to reject new work three times (laughs) and um, this was about setting the first bar Uh, it's like this idea that you only get a short window of opportunity to set expectations and uh, step four is coincidentally issuing the instruction with clear expectations where we agree on the outcome what does success look like now if you don't get work back that reflects that expectation You've really only got an opportunity at the very beginning of this working relationship to reset that expectation to where it should be. If you accept work or you give approval where it's not earned, then you're effectively saying, you know what, let's just take a lower bar than what I had in mind and let me build up some resentment over the long term. And and that's not going to work out. So if we're doing a new job, we always work in small batch sizes, very small amount of work, send it back for checking. If it's not perfect or where it needs to be, it gets put back for redoing until it's just right. And it could go back three times, but if you accept something that's below the minimum standard, then you've effectively just agreed that for the rest of eternity, then that's the new low standard. So you've got to be really careful at the beginning of the relationship to make sure that the bar is set with the right expectation. And I just want to clarify that I'm not suggesting that you approve of people for bad work. I'm suggesting that you... No, I I know that you're not suggesting that. Yeah. You find something that you can approve of about what they've done and then ask for the change. There's a big difference generationally between my school generation and your school generation. Um, When I went to school, there was about competition and winners and losers and good work or crap. Now, everyone's a winner. Everyone does great work and it was a team effort. Yay! Which isn't really giving people any sort of feel for the difference between uh, commercial success or not. I think you might be missing the point about what I'm saying here, which is that, or maybe you, maybe you hear me and you're just making that point, but what I'm saying is that when you want someone to do something, you want someone to make a change, you're better off, in my experience anyways, to finding something that you like about, hey, I like your enthusiasm. I like that you turned in your work at this time or anything that you can find that they've done right and then tell them, but this thing doesn't, you know, and this thing it needs to be changed this way and this way. Thanks. Let me, you know, like I'm not suggesting approval of people and 
Yeah, so I, don't, I actually disagree with you on this one. What you're talking about there, that could be a positive, negative, positive or sandwich technique, but it's out of date. It's called, um, it's also pairing and it's incorrect. What you should do is just get to the chase to tell them what you need. If they're not delivering, I'm saying this old school thing of here's what you did great, here's where you're shit and here's something really good to end on. Uh, people start to learn pretty quickly. Never trust this guy if he says something nice because he's about to give me a big butt then kick me in the guts and wound me. So I'm going to put my guard up and I'm not going to trust him even if he says a compliment because I never know what's waiting around the corner for me. Instead of pairing, you should just have single topic. Don't put a compliment with a negative. That's all I'm saying. Well, I think that's when your compliment is ingenuine, when you're just giving someone a compliment so that you can tell them. Yeah, and that's okay. We don't have to agree on anything. Well... I think we did. I think we found something we disagree on in this episode, which we tend to find. If you want great results from a team, then you just be very clear. If something needs rework, you, you don't don't mess around with a fake compliment or or tell them something great that's irrelevant. Just tell them what needs to be adjusted. Uh, yeah, I think you're to say on this diagram, I'd prefer a different font rather than oh, I like the colors. They're great. The size is awesome. But the font's not right. We need to change that. You've just set them up for a big kick in the guts. So just tell them exactly what needs to happen. Like, And really what we're talking about is very clear communication. And I would say singular communication is better than pairing or sandwiching. Fair enough. I think I've been in arguments with, with other people about this before, so I'm not surprised. I don't think you can – I don't think I'm <laughs> being clear about my viewpoint here. So I'm going to move on, which is that one of the things – that I find that has people feel really good is having them feel like they're a part of the team and their viewpoints are taken into account and they have freedom within their role. Meaning you've given them a desired outcome and then you've let them go about doing it the way that they want to do it. And that kind of gives them a way to feel like they have ownership over their position, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you're talking about not micromanaging them. Exactly. Like give people free. You want uh, people to stretch, let them stretch. Just uh, talk about the sort of result you want. Like if you, if you talk about step four, issuing the instruction with clear expectations that we agree on the outcome, you might say, this is the result I have in mind. This is what we're trying to achieve. This, this is why we're doing it. I'm not even sure what all the steps are, but I expect you'll be able to go and sort those out, make it happen. If we could get a feel for how long this might take, in, and you, you know, quite often it's worth you telling them what your expectation for timing is. Say, I expect that this could be done within a day, or I expect that this should be ready after lunch, or I expect that we could have this happening by the end of this month. Do we do we agree on what the mission is here? If they say yes, like test understanding, say, okay, you tell me what we're doing here, and they'll say, okay, boss, we're building this website. We want it to appeal to female buyers uh, over fifty who have uh, a skin problem and we want the website up and ready, live, running by the end of this week. Say, absolutely, go for it. Impress me. Away they go. Totally. And so everyone's agreeing on what's happening. Yeah, and you're giving people a way to win because people want to win. They want to do well and they can't win if you don't tell them exactly what you want and what you expect. Yeah, if they don't know what the game is or the rules and if you beat them down or you try and micromanage them, you might as well do it yourself. Totally. Reporting. So... What tools do you use specifically for task management, delegation, kind of this, the way I have a note here, but like how we structurally run our companies? Because 
I've been through a million task management tools. And what I've found at the end of the day is that <laughs> Slack kind of beats them all. Slack combined with Evernote kind of like, like half the time we spent was entering tasks into the task management tool. Yeah, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved. Most humans don't interact with tools very well. They just ignore them or they start doing them to please you, the owner, because you told them to get this tool, but it's not actually helping the workflow. Most of them are not intuitive or useful. Slack is handy. I'd say in particular for younger people because they're, if you, you know, when I talk to my kids, they only use messaging as a communication. They don't use email. They don't use any third-party system. They just want a phone-to-phone SMS or iMessage. That's how they communicate. They'll reluctantly be involved in a group chat on Facebook or something if that's the only way they know how to connect to someone. So the majority of people in my business are 30 or under, and they chat. I mean, 80% of our messages are one-to-one chat. Slack is an email replacement. That's why it's so good, but it's also incredibly good at attaching documents, previewing documents, storing snippets. It's searchable, easy to have uh, channels and groups. So I did a whole review on Slack. It's that good. It's the tool for us that we would miss the most. It also allows you to turn off Skype. You can turn off your inbox and uh, you can have little production lines. I've got a for approval channel, for example. Anything they want to publish, they put it in that. And if I don't comment on it, they just publish it. If I want to change something, I just say change this or please add this and they'll change it. No sandwich involved. Love it. I love Slack. I've got a, I've got an RSS feed of all my favorite blogs that drop into a channel. It's kind of like Dropbox combined with Skype combined with task management. <laughs> so good. It is. It's Skype, email, and a project management system. Um, it, it, it's good. The other thing we use is Google Docs, but we don't use any of the other systems we've used in the past. We don't use Basecamp. We don't use Teamwork. We don't use Asana. We don't use Podio. And we have uh, 46 people in the business. Slack is the hub. It's, it's extremely strong for that. So let's just sort of wrap up some of these steps here. The idea is step one, you do a little uh, task identification. What's actually required? That's what you call the inventory. Other people call it taking stock. Uh, But split them into three categories, delete, do, or delegate, making sure that you only do the high-level activities. Step two, decide if you're going to get someone outside the company as a contractor or a supply service or hire in-house. Step three, define the role, whether you want someone already qualified or you want to train your own. Step four, when you're issuing instructions, be very clear with their expectations and make sure you agree on what success looks like. Do minimum viable products, like do small batch sizes that you can get back for um, checking along the way. If you're going to build a website, then ask them to send you the wireframe. Once you approve the wireframe, then have a look at the design study. Once you've approved the design study, then they build the website. It saves extra labor. Step five, test understanding. Have them confirm or repeat the mission so that you're on the same page. And then you've got step six, which is sort of the doing and reporting. And we use Slack for that. Uh, We both use Slack for that. That's basically uh, the first steps toward delegation. And I think uh, quickly you should mention, I don't know if we talked about it earlier, but I do it, we do it, you do it. Yeah, so uh, when you're training someone, there's this simple formula, I, we, you. And that is, uh, let's say we were sitting down and I wanted to show you how to make a beaded necklace because we're going to sell it at the markets. We'd sit down with the beads and the string and I'd say, okay, Ezra, 
watch me do this. I'm going to take the string, I'm going to get these beads and I'm going to put them on one by one and then when I've finished I'm going to tie the, the string and now I have a necklace. So that was me doing it. Then it's we do it. Okay, let's do this together. You grab the string, all right? Now I'm going to pass you the beads and you put them on one by one and then uh, do you remember what to do next? Okay, that's right, tie the knot. Now we've got the necklace. Now the third step is you do it. All right, Ezra, take it away. You teach me how to do this thing. Show me how it works. And you say, well, first you get the string, then you get the beads, and then you put them all on, and then you tie the thing, and there's your necklace. I say, great, do that. There's another 100 over there. We'll be at the markets in the morning. You know, people, uh, I love that. I've, I've adopted that, and, and it's like my soul training uh, system. Um, people want to be... People want to know the secret to productivity. Like, how do you produce so much? How do you get so much done? How is your business so big? How, how do you have such a connected and, you know, like, how are you able to achieve the results you're achieving? How did you become such a great surfer or whatever it is for you? And everyone is very interested in that. And it turns out that a large part of it comes down to your ability and willingness, willingness being a key word here to get help. If you're willing to get help and have people help you, you can produce and do much bigger and greater things than you could do just on your own. And so it's an area of your life that you might want to put some attention on is how willing are you to accept help from people when it's offered? How willing are you to ask for help when you need it? How willing are you to go out there and proactively seek out the kind of help that's going to have you be better at the things you want to be better at? Marketing, surfing, uh, whatever. Well, you can transfer some money to get knowledge or you can transfer some money to get time. I got Surf Instructor to help me with two lessons so far. In those two lessons, I've picked up very valuable insights that have significantly improved the ability for me to surf. On the other side of the business, on the services side, 8,280 hours a month is what I buy from other people. I say, will you sell me some time? They say, yes. So I buy eight and a half thousand hours a month and then I sell packages and those hours are used to deliver the service packages. They're not my hours. I've only got a couple of hundred hours a month. Uh, and these days, I really want to put a hundred hours a month to the business. So it's going to have to come from somewhere else and I can actually exchange hours for money. Love it. You want to roll Carol? Yeah, let's roll Carol. Weekly willpower wager. Okay, we, <laughs> that was sort of a sort of a heavier one of our episodes. We were like really in the. It was sort of uh, you know we got pretty into it there. Uh, so Carol, thank you for that as always. Weekly willpower wager. What have you not let go of that you need to? What can you delegate? Like, are you if you're an Amazon business owner, are you still doing your own customer service? Like, there's something that you're doing that you really shouldn't be doing, and you kind of know you shouldn't be doing it. So stop it. We need to put that Bob Newhart video. Yeah. I bet it's website development. Hardly any marketers I know who aren't tinkering with their own website. They shouldn't be. Absolutely. You shouldn't be trying to download images. Good. But there's a, there's, you know, do you know how many 50 grand a year hobbyist website developers there are out there? It's frightening. You know, that's their, that's 90% of their activities, changing the fonts and adding pages to their funnel, blah, blah, blah. It's not the most effective use of your time. Not at all. So delegate something. This week, get yourself some help, whatever that thing is. So let's move on to our news and updates. Super fast business has happened since our last episode, man. <laughs> it's been that long. Dude, it has. That was in, the, that was in March. 
<laughs> we're in May now. So uh, uh, <laughs> it was a pretty good event, actually. It was was the best, the best one so far. It's so good. We booked again for next year uh, on the in in the early March, and I'll put up some details of that at some point. Something to look forward to. It's a while away. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I had a a launch in the time that we had our last episode, which was a, a Pinterest training program. Um, it was very successful, and uh, we reopened the Blue Ribbon Mastermind, which was which uh, it has been going really really well. So that's kind of what's been going on here. And I moved house. <laughs> it's like again, it's good. If if it's good if you've settled and you're unboxing. That's why your microphone's a little bit muffled today. You, you've still got equipment somewhere <laughs> yeah and, and i'm sorry if i'm like i'm feeling um just the intensity of this move and all this stuff and breaking down all these boxes and confronting all this stuff that we have which i didn't even think we had that much stuff i don't know how much how, how this all fit in our apartment kind of confronting the amount of stuff that you have as a person which of course we're going to go through we're going through it all and we're getting rid of a lot of it or i mean you know offering it to friends and stuff like that but it's just like been a really in- more intense of a process than I had anticipated. And so today, um, it's 8 p.m. my time, 9 p.m. now, uh, and I'm pretty exhausted. So I think that's coming out a little bit in this episode. Moving is the best metaphor for carrying baggage because it, it costs you to move boxes of crap that you're not going to use and then you throw it away. It's better to do it first. Of course, that's, that's what we always want to do, but we don't have the deadline that often if we're not moving all the time. You know, we went through everything. We did. Yeah. We really thought we thought about that. And now we just found more stuff that I don't think is relevant. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Silver Circle's still on a waiting list uh, in case anyone's interested. And uh, we should go to SpeakPipe. You know, there's a couple of calls that we've had sitting there. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's, uh, let's have a listen to Leon. Hi there, James and Ezra. This is Leon, our trends from masteringevents.com. Just left a five-star review on iTunes.com for the podcast, Think at Get, and just want to say love your work. Thought I should leave a message here on SpeakPipe as well. My question for you guys is, especially James, I know that you're a big fan of framework, systemization, and lists, getting things done. After you make a huge list, of all the things that you need to have frameworks for and systems for in your business. There's marketing, there's product development, there's outsourcing, there are so many different things. How do you know which one to start? Which which framework you should get going in your business? Anyway, thanks guys for all you do. Let's get to episode 50 as soon as possible. It's been a while. Wish the podcast was more frequent, but thanks for everything you do and looking forward to your reply. <laughs> episode 50 sorry leon we've we've had your call for a little bit too long there we i think we'll be more frequent now that ezra has a house to live in oh yeah yeah i've been uh, i'm i'm getting settled and this is like one of my favorite things to do so i'm excited about it but yeah um good but a good speak pipe for this episode yeah so what do you what's your take on that you've got all these frameworks and lists and things you want to do well it's kind of like this episode was custom built for that speak pipe you, you requisition the tasks to someone else and start building if you possibly can. If you, if you already have a team, easy. You just pass it down the, the line like a football game. You throw the ball and let them score. If you don't have a team, then what I do is I list everything that's on my mind, everything. I like just dump it down onto a whiteboard 
or a single item per post-it note. Even if you use a whole pile, it's fine. Stick them onto a whiteboard or a window. You, you look for the most important and urgent ones. You could actually score them using a left and right axis of uh, the, sorry, the bottom and then the up and down axis of the board. You can stick all the urgent, important things in one corner, the non-important, non-urgent things in the other. And then you just pick them back up, starting with the least important, and then you just stack post-it notes on top of each other until you end up with the most important and urgent on the top. And you've got one thing there staring in the face. Do that and peel it off and then do the next one and peel it off and do the next one. You shouldn't be looking at more than one action item ever. So remove everything else from your view. If you did the whiteboard exercise and you write everything on the whiteboard, then you just circle the one thing or two things or three things that you need to do. Take a picture with your phone, rub everything else off and you've only got three things and then just bring one thing back to your computer or your workspace and do that. Go back and get the next thing and then go back and get the next thing and then do the whole exercise again. And acknowledge that you just won't be able to get to everything. That's really the most important thing to acknowledge. And the, the, the second thing to acknowledge is that most of it's not really going to change the rest of your life. There's only a few things that actually matter. Do those first. So good. Uh, I've got another one here from Sam. Should we have a listen to this? Yeah, but I also just think you just rattled that off. That's like a whole book right there. It's like the cliff. It's like like that that one that well, that's why i'm charged on this episode as a, a few reasons one we tried to do this episode about three times and we finally got there so i'm excited about that two it's my sweet spot topic so i'm going to have a lot to say on this topic whereas with the other topics we do sometimes i haven't really got much of a clue and i'm really just drifting along guided by your wisdom and matters that i'm not that aware of so i feel strong on this one so it's just in, it's just uh, enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, you're really you're really so good at it, and it's just funny because you're so matter of fact about it. You know, you're just like do this and don't do that. Come on. Oh, I know this, but I do know this. It's uh, if you can imagine that I literally spend hours thinking about this and reading about it and implementing it, and it's my core core superpower. You know, if, if someone said, "What's your superpower?" I would say. I'm highly effective when it comes to to this particular topic of having help from other people and structuring things and and reducing down your own personal workload. I'm about to speak on this topic next week and I've been preparing slides for a few days on it. So, and when I say a few days, I mean like, you know, 10 minutes here, five minutes there. I just sort of chip away at it, editing and and, uh, contemplating my message. But I'm really on topic for this right now just as as per chance this is the secret to scale it is a secret to scale. your your ability to effectively get yourself help is the secret to scale exactly. and the parts of my business where i have the most people are the parts where i do the least stuff and they're actually the most effective uh in terms of profitability for the amount of time i invest so it's quite interesting i got a question for you because i know how i feel about this but when we look at if you're going to bring someone on, I guess it actually depends on your business model, right? I guess it's business model specific, but I'll ask anyways, which is, let's say you're going to bring, you're like, okay, I'm ready to do the, to, to put in the energy and effort of training someone in-house to be on my team. I suppose that person starts with customer service or what do you have? You start, have them start on marketing. What do you start them with? Cause I know, you know, you, you obviously hire designers and developers, people who already have that skill set, or you're going to bring them on the team. But when you're bringing on someone 
Because the way that I've kind of done it is jack of all trades, you know, start someone customer service, then get them onto content, you know, kind of move people through different positions and bring people on to replace them so that they know those positions. Yeah, I mean, usually that's only going to happen the first time. The first couple that I hired five years ago were just uh, one was a virtual assistant. I didn't even know what she'd do. I wasn't sure if I'd have enough work to keep one person busy, <laughs> which is hilarious when you think about it. And I took her through learning about WordPress and article writing and blog posting and, and server maintenance and CRM. And just she basically built up. She's like got very good general experience. And then what happened is we got a few people I think when we hit about seven or eight people, we started to split them into teams where they had specialty. So we went from generalized to specialty. And then when we had specialties, then we subgrouped those into specialties within specialties. So like the SEO team then split into content writers, uh, videographers, and uh, link builders slash you know, blog posting, account creation, and then research and development and little team leaders all through that. Now, talk about my pods of three theory uh, for my superfast business members. But the the really comes back to your question is what's the point of this person? What's, what's the end goal? What would you like them to do? If you know that in advance, then you would generally, if you already have someone in the business, you bring them in and put them under their wing. If you don't have anyone in the business, then you're going to have to think in advance about the training program. Never hire someone unless you can commit to training them and back in the car dealership when i'd hire a rookie car salesperson i had a two-week induction program which became the benchmark for the sales management group in mercedes-benz i was asked to train all the other managers because it was a theoretical and a practical training program it took two weeks roughly but it was competency based and it addressed all the things they needed to know before they could sell a car to a member of the public and that's why my salespeople won all the competitions and got promoted through to management and are now running a lot of the dealerships. Yes. Uh, okay, let's play that next one. Okay, this one is Sam. Hey, James and Ezra. This is Sam Gastro from Boulder, Colorado. Thank you guys so much for the amazing podcast. I've gotten a tremendous amount of excellent information from it, so I really appreciate it. I have a question for Ezra. Um, I am currently interested in starting a website that sells custom bike frames. And I have a lot of great relationships with a lot of frame builders around the country. However, I'm a little hesitant into starting a physical products website because I really value travel and being independent of a location. So I know you do a lot of traveling and I was curious how you're able to manage a physical products website while continuing to be able to travel and um, and not be tied down to one location. Thanks a lot, you guys. Really appreciate it. It's like we hand cherry picked these uh, speak pipes for this episode because <laughs> they're so on topic. So thank you so much for that uh, uh, message, Sam. I'm glad that you like Think Act Get. It makes us feel really good and has us you know want to continue doing it even more than we already do. So that's cool. It, it goes in line with everything we've been saying here, which is that. Well, first of all, in an e-commerce business is not inherently location specific. I mean, I run e-commerce businesses and I travel all the time. As you mentioned, my inventory gets sent from my manufacturers over to Amazon or over to my fulfillment center. And then my customers place order on my website and my virtual customer service person answers the phones and emails them when they have questions. And there is no 
location specific necessity for me. I don't have to be in any one location. My products are manufactured in Hawaii. My products are manufactured in New York. Certain components I have are manufactured overseas. So I don't actually see the, I don't get, and maybe you can, if you, maybe you, you heard something I didn't there, James, I don't get where the conflict is coming from as far as e-commerce business and needing to be. I reckon that, well, I guess it's the way I interpret it would be that perhaps Sam's thinking he needs to be there to receive the stock from the supplier, um, print out the pick, packing slips, take the the stock to the post office. You know the old good old one man e-commerce show. Got it. Got it. Well, that's not. You need staff. You just need staff or um, drop shipping fulfillment or an arrangement with someone else who has a e-commerce store in the in the shed next door to yours where you can store your pallets and hire their team to fulfill you just need to get yourself out of the equation is the way i would interpret the solution yes absolutely right there's fulfillment centers out there who will take any size of object who will assemble products if you teach them how who will unpackage from your manufacturer and repackage and ship and, and do any i mean this service already exists there's already people who do exactly what you're needing them to do let's say uh, I mean, you're talking about custom bike frames. So in that case, I guess you'd be getting the order, maybe doing some, some kind of content piece that talks all about how it's cool to have a custom bike. And then someone comes and they order it on your website. And then you farm that out to the third party uh, custom bike builder person and then they ship it or something. I don't know. But there's definitely a system for that. Bottom line, you can run a physical e-commerce store without having to be there. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I hope that was helpful for you, Sam. We've got Matthew. Here on the Ego episode, he says, great episode again, guys, but I have a feeling that your opinions on electric vehicles will be revised once you've driven a Tesla. I think electric vehicles will be mainstream within 10 years given the current rate of progress and the fact that electric can be created entirely from renewables such as wind and solar. I think you're talking about you, uh, James. Yeah, I don't know. Things seem to happen pretty slow. I think we've, we've, <laughs> we've got a lot more technology and ability to do things than what the market seems to catch up with and uh, I know that there's the insane model on the Tesla etc cetera, etc cetera, but you know fast in itself isn't isn't all of the motor experience for me that's like someone measuring work hours as a measure of business success I don't think that's the metric I think it's hard to replace the sound of a V8 exhaust just my own preference. And maybe in 10 years I'll have the cl- classic collectible. And that's that's fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, we've got Bernie here on the Ego episode. And by the way, Ezra, do you even have a car? I do, yeah. I have an Audi. Huh. Um, I, I never thought I'd see you have a car. I didn't know if you always had one or not. I just assumed no. you didn't. Did not have one. I mean, look, I had... I, I I had cars growing up in California where cars were needed. My first car was I, yeah, but not in New York. Not in New York, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could tell you my car history, but I haven't had a car for ten years. I just bought one, um, and I love it. God help the locals. So, Bernie on the ego episode. I'd heard once that a man's ego is very important and important for a woman as a wife to support a husband's ego, not destroy it. Apparently, a man's ego can be easily crushed and needs to be nurtured. I don't know if this is the same for women. Also interesting, James and Ezra wanted, James wanted Ezra to have his hair cut just like him. This is a sign of a healthy ego. James, was that a cunning deliberation or was I unaware? I think this is a um, chauvinist comment. 
uh, and not intentionally. And the, the reason is, like, first of all, men and women both have egos. Yeah. Uh, a, man's, a man's ego is no different than a woman's ego, is no different than, you know, a person has an ego. Um, and it's, it's if you're in relationship with a person, your agenda is definitely not to destroy their ego, regardless of your gender. That would doesn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't seem like it would be very nice. And so you kind of want to support. Um, I mean, we could go back to the ego episode. It was a whole big episode. But the point is that uh, it's important for everyone to feel like they are loved. And uh, there you go. I know I've grown my hair out a little bit longer. It looks good, too. Make it more like yours, Ezra. It looks really good. Yeah, you could go, you know, you could uh, get a beard going and get yourself. No, I don't want a beard. Done the beard for a little bit. Not that interested in the beard. I think uh, that's that's a bit of a fad, but I, I'm just growing a little bit more on top. Some people are actually surprised that I do have hair, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> Carol on the Ego episode, awesome episode, talked about thought-provoking. For me, it's a balancing act between being confident and humble at the same time. I've never heard that quote from M. Mead. Pretty much sums it all up. I'll take the challenge this week for sure. Great to hear a new episode. Thanks so much. Thank you, Carol. Carol's a legend. I wish I'd heard of um, Mayweather before that episode because that would have been fun to talk about. Yeah, that guy, man. That guy, uh, that he's, guy he's got some humility, hasn't he? He, I mean, that guy is just, it's, it's, I, don't even get me started on the fact how this guy's not, how this guy is able to actually fight him. He's got seven documented c- cases of domestic violence. My favorite is his, the letter from his son. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> so uh, Brian here on the stability episode. Your comment about travel being a destabilizing factor struck a chord with me. I'm self-employed in the e-commerce space. I spend at least a third of my days away from home and office. As much as I enjoy the spontaneity, flexibility, and freedom of the entrepreneurial lifestyle, I struggle to follow through and complete complex projects because of a lack of stability from a routine schedule. I've recently hired a full-time VA to handle my non-critical routine tasks. We're still in the training mode, but I'm already feeling a little lift from the burden of having to play catch-up when I arrive home from travel. The new challenge here is letting go of managing and controlling these tasks that I have delegated to the VA. Well, aren't you in luck, Brian, because this episode should help you relieve that burden a little more. Totally know what you're saying about the uh, getting out of routine. I think I'm going to lose my uh, gold flyer status this year because I've really just been surfing every day and not that keen to hop on a plane. I, I missed going to some of the conferences that I normally go to just because I didn't want to go away. I'm actually really enjoying routine. One tip is before you go away, obviously clear your desk and remove, you know, just declutter as much as you can so that you come back to a a peaceful environment. But just write down one or two tasks on your whiteboard that you were in the midst of before you went away, maybe the back of your whiteboard if you've got a double-sided one like I do. And that way, it's not in your visibility, but you don't feel like you're trying to remember what you were actually up to. Just go back and, and check it, like that movie Memento, where the guy writes on his, his body every night because he can't remember the next morning. You know, we ought to like you ought to republish wealthification because a lot of this stuff is in that course. It is in that course, and uh, I'm going to redo it when I get to it. It's not critical. I mean, the, the current one's good enough. No, I mean, um, not not redo it. Just. Put it back on the blog more. No, I've actually had the whole thing transcribed and it forms the basis for the book that I've got written. And uh, But I'm just still tinkering with a few modules. I'm not ready to release the book yet, but when I do, it'll be pretty damn good. I have no doubt. Think about it. 
Let's talk about our quote. Are you keeping your quote today? Let's read it. When you delegate work to the member of, you, of the team, your job is to clearly frame success and describe the objectives. Wow, that's exactly what I said. So I'm fine with that. Might as well be quoted by me, but apparently some Stephen Sanofsky said it first. You know what I love about the truth is that it exists and you're able to find it yeah. and other people can find it too. And it's like, once you figure, like once you have like things exist and then you can, you know, you're able to come to them, but exactly. I just read a whole book. I did a review on a book yesterday in my monthly webinar for my forum members. And I might as well have written the book. It's exactly what I've been talking about. Like the, the key points were what I talk about the even, even down to hunting and farming. And I'm like, wow, this is the book that I could have written. And it's great when I find stuff like that. It's a sign, well, and this guy happens to be running Netflix, uh, you know, membership subscription. So it's right on topic. I love finding things that I really resonate with. The quote was a good one, Ezra. Thank you. Thanks, man. I've been working on it. You know, I, my feelings have been a little hurt. Not actually, they haven't actually been hurt. But, um, you know, I, I feel like my agenda is always to pick a quote that I think you're going to like and that you're going to want to <laughs> I do, yeah. I gave you Jennifer Aniston just to speak. I, I think sometimes you do it to wind me up. Here's my quote. It's from good old Donald Rumsfeld. He says, don't be a bottleneck. If a matter is not a decision for the president or you, delegate it. Force responsibility down and out. Find problem areas. Add structure and delegate. The pressure is to do the reverse. Resist it. Um, and I just like this one because I think that it's true that you do feel pressure to kind of just, oh, I'm just going to do it myself because it'll be faster or whatever. And that's actually um, not true. <laughs> so you got to resist that urge. Yeah, that's right. If you want to train your team to do stuff, you've got to actually have them do stuff. And they'll be doing it. I've, I've actually created a pull flow now uh, on my workload, which is where my virtual assistant actually says, boss, we need a podcast. Like she'll create the urgency for me if I don't send it through enough. And sometimes like yesterday I might say, well, I'm not going to be able to do it today. I'll send it tomorrow because I'm doing other things. So uh, it's good to have that ability to converse. And at the same time, they'll actually just publish stuff if I don't approve it. I've said, here's my approval process. Publish it here in uh, Slack. I'll check it if I check it. If I don't, just publish it. If there's no changes, I might not even comment. So they put it there and then an hour or two later they publish it. It gives me a small window to change it, like the uh, delay on a radio station if someone swears. Love it. This is Think, Act, Get. We are focused on mindset, behavior, and results. And our goal is to give you ways to win in your life and your business. And everything that we do here in the show is directed at you, our listener. We do this show, Delegation. Uh, and that's the distribution of tasks and responsibilities. I'm Ezra Firestone, my partner, James Shramko. And um, there you go. This has been another episode of Think, Act, Get with James Shramko and Ezra Firestone. For more tips and tutorials on how to grow your business faster, visit thinkactget.com and join the newsletter. It's free. It's free.